Here we go. Hi, this is Michael Waits, and welcome back to the Asia InsureTech podcast. This is the only podcast in Asia focused on insurance that gives entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and investors a platform to discuss how technology is reshaping the insurance industry in Asia. This episode of the AIP is brought to you by Uncharted. In this rapidly changing environment, the ability to operate your business online is mission critical. Powered by Uncharted's core insurance and distribution platform, carriers and brokers now have the ability to launch new distribution channels in a matter of weeks and any product through any channel in any market in just days. If your core insurance technology isn't providing your business with an enduring competitive advantage, visit them at www.uncharted.global or email info at uncharted.global to speak to the team. Today on the show, I'm joined by Yenming Li, a co-founder and the CEO of Policy Street, it's great to have you on the show. How are you doing today? Thank you very much, Michael. I'm good, thank you. And how have you been doing? I am good. Loosening my own sort of personal restrictions on self-quarantine, but definitely not going out of the house as much as I used to. So little, little <laughs> jaunts in and out, but nothing that substantial at all. Oh, and by the way, thank you again for participating in our Facebook Live panel discussion at the beginning of this week. That was truly awesome. No no worries. I'd be happy to, you know, jump into discussions like that. Anytime. Look, we had fun, and I hope you had fun as well. I did. I did. Definitely. Okay. Let's just jump right into this. What do you think the biggest trend is in InsureTech in Southeast Asia right now? I think if you look at the Southeast Asia market, it's it's a hundred billion US dollar market, uh, and it has been a very very traditional industry. It's not been disrupted by any innovation for the last uh, hundred years. And I think now it's where consumers are getting more savvy. And that's where, you know, consumers are demanding transparency. They are demanding options. They're demanding choices uh, in, in, in buying insurance. And that's where I see, you know, changes, especially in terms of, uh, you know, process efficiency, in terms of how insurers today are, are removing uh, certain barriers, certain middlemen, certain intermediaries to try to make it more cost efficient uh, for the consumers out there and also to make it easier for consumers out there to procure uh, policies that meet their needs and their wants. Yeah, so, so I think, I think if, in a nutshell, if you look at it, uh, I think uh, process efficiency is definitely a big wave that's coming into the insurance space. Uh, and that's where, you know, uh, consumers are there. There's two sets of consumers, if I look at it. So the first type of consumers are those who are already insured. And consumers who are already insured, uh, they, they are looking today at in terms of options, in terms of transparency uh, in the policies that they procure. Uh, and obviously, you know, for those who want to buy uh, additional policies, they definitely want choices. So that's, that's number one. Uh, and number two, it's consumers uh, who are not insured. And again, if you look at Southeast Asia, a large population uh, it's actually uninsured. Yeah. And for those uninsured, uh, they are looking towards having policies which are more affordable. Because obviously, if you look at the per capita income, insurance does not meet their needs in that sense. Because uh, for a pure fact that it's expensive today. So people are today looking at more affordable policies if they were to buy it. Uh, and that's where you know insurers today are developing basic policies to cover the, the needs of these segments. Yeah, it makes sense to me. Look, let's back up for a second and give our listeners a little bit of your background for context. You seem to have quite a full career before you founded Policy <laughs> Street. <laughs> sure. Sure. 
Yeah, so uh, I, I've been in the corporate sector for a good 17 years. Okay. Uh, and I, I've got a mix of, uh, you know, a background from, you know, from dabbling in, in engineering all the way to marketing, all the way to the financial sector. So I've been uh, with uh, three international banks, uh, namely Citibank, uh, HSBC and Standard Chartered Bank. Right. And I was also uh, in the largest telco in Malaysia, namely Maxis. But surprisingly, uh, I actually don't have uh, a degree in financial services. <laughs> I actually have a degree in electrical engineering. I saw uh, that. Of course, <laughs> yeah. But of course, along the way, I've acquired my own MBA. Uh, and of course, chance uh, by it, uh, I actually jumped uh, into the financial services sector. Uh, and before I left, uh, I was actually heading uh, the marketing department in Standard Chartered Bank Malaysia before, you know, before coincidentally as well, uh, you know, meeting some of my co-founders and starting Policy Street. Wow, you're like a full-stack employee. You could do everybody's yeah. job. <laughs> <laughs> no? That's what it feels like. Yeah, it's a colorful career, I would say. <laughs> I like it. So you, as a, as a team, right, Policy Street, what has it been, like a year since you received this financial advisor and the, the um, IFA license from Bank Nagara Malaysia, right? Yeah. How has this sort of changed the tenor of Policy Street's business in the last year? What benefits sure. do you get from that? Sure. So uh, Policy Street started uh, three and a half years ago. And, and when we first started, uh, we were merely marketing partners for selected insurers. Got and uh, we wanted to make uh, you know, insurance simple, easy and affordable. Uh, but when we first started, uh, we were merely distributing online term life policies. It was the first, actually, in Malaysia known as You for Life. It was underwritten by Tokyo Marine. And okay. over the course of that year, we've actually learned a little bit in terms of how you know, distribution works and how digital works for the insurance sector. Uh, the year after, we actually became agents because we wanted to have more options for consumers out there. So we were, we were agents for selected insurance. And again, in Malaysia, uh, if you wanted to start up agencies, uh, you are bounded by the limitation of only having to represent one life insurer and two general insurers, and nothing more than that. Okay. Yeah, I think that there's a limitation to that. So, and and uh, and after that, we actually found out. Actually, we we were in contact with Bank Negara Malaysia, which is a central bank of Malaysia, and we wanted to do more than just having two general insurers and one, uh, you know, life insurer. And and they actually asked us to consider joining the sandbox. But again, when we looked at the sandbox, we said, you know what, what we wanted to do uh, was beyond the sandbox. And they said, okay, why not you, you look at the requirements of, of, uh, of, of an FA, of a financial advisor. Yeah. So we went through the requirements uh, and we realized, you know what, uh, we needed uh, actually a uh, CFP, which is a certification in financial planning. So and when I look at my co-founders, they said, you know what, Yanming, you had the most uh, experience, uh, and, and I've, had, I've had even my own MBA, and with an MBA, I can actually fast track getting a CFP. And I, I sat for exams, uh, and I got a CFP within six months. Good for and you. from there on, we actually applied uh, for an FA license. So the FA license in Malaysia, uh, and the IFA license in Malaysia, actually enables us to now represent consumers and not represent the insurer. So in that sense, yeah, so we, we can actually work agnostically with any insurers in Malaysia. Today, uh, we are working with 34 insurers in Malaysia, and we offer more than a 1,000 of our products from this insurer itself. Uh, and, and of course, that doesn't even stop us from customizing products or even developing products, co-developing products with insurers and reinsurers in that sense. 
So the FA license or just having the financial advisor terminology for you guys means now you can be super customer focused as opposed to super insurer focused and it gives it, it meets all of your requirements, right? Because it means now that consumers can have more choice, they can have more transparency, all the things that you wanted to do, that helps you get, yeah? Exactly, exactly. And that's why, you know, for us, uh, the business has been thriving. And then uh, last year alone, after we obtained the license, uh, we had a 40 times jump uh, in our sales versus the year before. Right. And that's because, you know, we, we started giving options to our consumers. And, and they, they, they liked the options that we gave them uh, instead of just representing, you know, selected insurers in that sense. Are you operating in the entire region or, or for now is it just in Malaysia? So uh, insurance is a very regulated market. Yep. We've just uh, completed our fundraising activities about uh, a couple of weeks ago. And, and we're now looking at expansion beyond Malaysia in several of the regions. But of course, you know, considering that it's a regulated industry, we understand that there is a requirement for us to get proper licensing, proper regulatory right? approvals. Yeah, exactly. And that's what we're doing now. So we are talking to several parties uh, in several markets in Southeast Asia, uh, looking at expanding our business to those markets. So you brought up the funding, which is really interesting. I think it was last year you did a traditional, relatively traditional $500,000 capital raise from KK, if I remember correctly. Right. And this right. year you kind of did a different tack, right? You went with the pitch and equity crowdfunding and you you're trying to, and you're trying to raise a bit more money. What was the idea there? Like, why not go traditional? Why go through this pitch in platform? Sure. So actually we went through both ways. So okay. we've got some traditional funding as well. Uh, and, and there's also a follow-on from KK, which uh, coincidentally, uh, you know, a release will come out soon <laughs> because we've just completed the fundraising activities. Uh, but we wanted to actually allow the general public to participate in our growth. Uh, and that's where, what, what more best to have ambassadors for your, for your yeah. brand, yeah. to have, you know, people vouching for you. And that's where, you know, today we are fortunate enough uh, to have, you know, board members, CEOs, uh, directors, VPs, who have actually joined in uh, in that uh, crowdfunding activity. And we've got 274 of them who are now our ambassadors, who are now our family members, who can go out there and vouch uh, for what we do. Can they also sell for you? So I, I believe it's in Indonesia and maybe in Thailand as well. It's kind of softly regulated, but, but I can actually become an insurance seller without actually becoming registered as an agent. But I, I like this idea of... If I'm a crowdfunding investor into your company, by mm. definition, I'm an ambassador, right? Hey, you have to use Policy Street because I'm an investor exactly. in it. But can they sell as well? Or at least, do you know what I mean? Can they get commission? Sure. So uh, what we're trying to do now is that we've actually used technology. So we've developed what we call as our own proprietary APIs. And we've actually connected uh, these APIs uh, with several traditional industries. Because what we want to do is we want to empower uh, these traditional channels which does not have the right uh, requirements or the right licensing to actually sell insurance. But of course, when you look at it on an individual basis, that has to be a referral model. So it's still very much an affiliate model for individuals to sell it. Got it. Uh, what we are doing is actually to empower traditional industries. So for example, today, uh, we've powered up with Razorpay. So every user of Razorpay uh, in Malaysia, whenever they want to buy an insurance policy, is actually powered by Policy Street. So we are the ones that's actually issuing the policy, but the ones that's actually marketing it is Razor Pay. Right. So this brings up another of my favorite topics, right? You sure. also announced a partnership with Food Panda, right, to help provide cover for their driver yes. partners, particularly in the context of COVID nineteen. So that's interesting too. Yeah. 
I presume you're envisioning more partnerships like this, but what you're also saying is through Razorpay, it's what I like to call alternative forms of distribution, right? So you, do you think you'll start working with companies like Grab and Gojek or even you know, some of the big e-commerce players to do the same type of distribution? And what impact do you think that's going to have on penetration? Yeah, I think uh, definitely uh, I, I wouldn't discount the fact that there are a lot of leveraging to be done uh, with various sectors. So, and obviously today, if you look at Grab and Gojek, so Gojek has got uh, Pasapolis in them, yep. which they've invested in Pasapolis. So obviously, yes. Pasapolis is providing several policies to them. Whereas for Grab, they want to become a super app. So they've actually worked with a particular insurer. But I think it comes a time when Grab would then want to diversify their options to the consumers, apart from just having a product from a particular insurer, they might want to have a diversification in products. And that's where I think uh, you know, Grab could look at this in terms of a platform, uh, which we can then empower them to offer those options to the consumer, apart from working you know, specifically with various insurers. So imagine if you've got 34 insurers, I'm sure Grab wouldn't want to work with every single one of them. Sure. And would want to have uh, you know, a platform that can actually connect with all those 34 insurers. So yeah, I mean, I would discount the fact that. Yeah, I mean, I look at companies like Grab, and you know, in Indonesia it's Tokopedia, in Thailand it's Lazada, and Shopee, and all these companies, right? They have all of these customers that are already doing transactions with them. It seems like a natural way, and I agree with you. I don't think you'd want to be wed to just one provider. If they really right. want to be kind of a super app and a supermarket for all these services. You know, insurance is a service at some level, right? And if people already yeah. trust them to buy, I mean, one of the biggest problems, it seems to me, in Southeast Asia is a little bit of a lack of trust from the, on the consumer side for the insurance because maybe they just haven't needed it. And also you mentioned the GDP per capita thing, right? The GDP right. per capita is a big deal because it's not affordable enough. Right. But if you combine all those things together, it seems like those platforms are a great way to get distribution in a way that hasn't been possible before, particularly because most people are out there doing this on mobile, yeah? Exactly, exactly. And I mean, if you look at Lazada, for example, if they sell smartphones, they don't just sell Samsung smartphones. Yeah, they exactly. They sell Xiaomi smartphones, they sell Huawei smartphones. So, so again, you want to have that breath, you want to have the option for consumers to choose, apart from just having a particular brand. Uh, and, and today, uh, you know, if you look at this, we are not changing the brands of the insurers. No. So I'm not changing an AXA to, to a policy street. I'm not changing a G <laughs> to a policy street. You know, it's still an AXA policy. It's still a potential policy. So basically what we're doing is we're just empowering consumers to have those options, to put forth you know, a, a, a transparent way of looking at policies that's available out there and, and for the consumers to make that considered decision in terms of which policy they should buy. So one of the things you talked about earlier was simplicity, right? Using digital channels right. to do to have more simple products for customers today that are not insured yet. Right. Why do you why do you think that insurance policies in the past have been so complicated and kind of filled with jargon and yet and today they're moving like you said through these digital channels into just simplicity. And and transparency as well, yeah. Exactly, exactly. I I I think policies today are still complex. I mean, especially in Southeast Asia, uh, and that's because, you know, there's different um, sets in the system. So obviously, you've got, uh, you know, people that you have to serve and, 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 you know, and it's very agent-led. So, and hence why, you know, they, they try to make it very complex like, in that sense. But, uh, but if you look at the complex policies, there are areas which are able to be demystified, let me call it this way, yeah. to make it simply simple for, for consumers to actually understand. For example, if you look at uh, deductibles, what's deductible? You know, some people might not understand what's deductible or what's excess in that sense. 
So again, it's about jargons, which you can then explain it in a more layman terms. But what I find is that, you know, in, in the insurance sector, it is, it is hard to actually differentiate between digital products and traditional products. <laughs> and I think that's what insurers are trying to do by differentiating digital products versus traditional products. So if, if you want to differentiate it, you should not market it separately. Because at the end of the day, as a consumer out there, I want to have all the choices. You know, does not mean that if I go online that I can only buy a, a particular product. But when I see an agent, I get a different product. So I think that, that universal synergy should come in where consumers should have options to buy any type of product and not just limited to digital products. And that's what we come in to simplify even the traditional products and not just the digital products out there. Yeah, I mean, this was an issue in a conversation that we had on Monday night as well, right? Is what really is the difference? But it was a really good question, I thought, right? Is what's the difference between a traditional policy and a digital, a digital policy? And why are they different? And if you if you do want consumers to have complete choice, shouldn't you expose them to both of those choices, regardless of the channel through which they buy it, right? Exactly, exactly. And that's what our mantra is. You know, our mantra is not to just look at digital products but to look at entirely the entire insurance sector itself and, and, and you know, giving that option to consumers throughout the entire sector and not just limited to a particular channel. And I, I mean, personally, I, I don't like the, the word alternative channels because you know, insurers tend to just label uh, digital as an alternative channel because to them, uh, it's a new means of trying to get consumers out there which have already not been tapped by the agency force. But yeah. that's totally wrong. I mean, you, you can't, you, you shouldn't divide, uh, you know, consumers out there into into this kind of segment because the consumer are the same. I mean, if you buy from Lazada and you bought a Samsung phone from the Lazada, chances are you would have bought a Samsung phone before from the right. mobile mobile shop. So it's the same thing. Yeah, as a matter of fact, I think I'm going to stop using that term. I agree with you. And it's almost to me like whether yep. you walk into McDonald's and go to the counter or go through the drive-thru, you're still buying a Happy Meal, right? And yeah, exactly. You, and it, it's not like you can only buy certain stuff at the drive-thru and only buy certain stuff at the counter. And to me, it should be the same. <laughs> and it's easier with an insurance policy because you're really just selling a promise to somebody. And whether it's in paper form or digital form, exactly. it's the same promise. Exactly. exactly. I want to ask a little bit about, I want to switch gears for a second. Then at the end, I want to talk a little bit about COVID. But I recently had a conversation, I said this to you offline, but I'll say it to you online as well, with the CEO of a company in Indonesia, Dima Jani, the CEO of Alami. And one of the things we talked about was the Takaful opportunity in Indonesia. And I'm curious, right. I know that you also have, we talked about this, right? The IFA license yep. as well. So the Islamic right. Financial Advisor license as well. And I don't think you would have gotten it unless you thought, it was relevant and important, but how big do you what? think that that market is regionally, right? Because if you look at the combination of all the countries here, that should be a big business. It is. Yeah, I think I think if you look at Takaful, uh, it's a different concept altogether, mm. apart from a, you know, a, a conventional kind of concept where you pay for a product or you pay for a promise and you get a promise. For Takaful, it's more towards you know, a culminating of, of different people coming together and you have an administrator who is the insurer who's administrating that, that promise that everyone has made. Uh, and, and if you look at the Southeast Asia market, uh, which is predominantly a Muslim-based uh, yep. you know, region, and that's where the, the, the sector is and that's where I think uh, a big chunk of the potential is. I, I recently came back, I think about close to about a year ago from an immersion program 
by Alipay in Hangzhou, China. Okay. Okay. Uh, they've introduced a, a concept known as Xianghupao, which is mutual aid. Yep. And yep. I think that, that runs alongside uh, with what Takaful concept is. And I think that concept will be big in the Southeast Asia region if it is done properly. Yep. Right. I mean, if you look at the Alipay experience and rolling out that product, didn't they get something like 100 million people joining it in like right. two months, so much so that the regulators started looking at it immediately. But it is a really interesting <laughs> way to serve. And is there a parametric component to this as well? Not, not that I know of. I mean, I mean, not really. Yeah, okay. I mean, if you, yeah. But if you look at simplicity, right, if you step away a little bit from the Takaful, which I do think is a very large opportunity, as you said, just in Indonesia, Malaysia, Thailand, Philippines, on all of Southeast Asia, you probably have 300 or more million people that are going to be interested in Islamic financials, right? I mean, that's just a fact because of how many Muslims there are in this region. But if, I want to get back to the simplicity thing. Is, are there parametric products that you sell as well? And does that help the simplicity? This thing happens, I get a payout. So eliminating the claim process? Right, right. Yeah, I think, I think, I think it simplifies understanding in terms of what insurance is. It also you know, removes the, the, the fats and the insurance because obviously, uh, you know, if, if everyone were to come in together and, and there are no claims, for example, at the end right. of, the, of the year, then you get back a, a return or you get back some form of your money uh, apart from the fees that you have already paid uh, to an administrator. Right. That, that concept is very strong. It's very powerful because today, as much as we know, insurance, are the, insurance companies are the ones that are making the most profit because they <laughs> underwrite a policy and if no one claims... Right. The, 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 you know, the profit is earned by the insurance themselves, apart from the commissions <laughs> that they pay to intermediaries. Right. So, and, and with the Takafu concept, uh, you actually return uh, part of the profit back to the policyholders. Right. I think that's a very strong concept. Yeah. We glossed over the partnership you had with Food Panda and the COVID-19 product that you were distributing with them. Can you talk about that a little bit? as it relates to Food sure. Panda, what the uptake's been like and what the genesis of that whole thing was as well. Right. So for Food Panda, we actually insured all their riders since the beginning of last year. So and, and, and throughout this COVID-19, we've seen an increase in riders. Obviously, you know, if you can't get out of your house, sure. you definitely want to have a food delivery <laughs> yeah. in your house. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, uh, and, and we've seen, uh, I would say, close to about 30% jump uh, in terms of the number of riders that they have. And they're also very concerned because of the uh, you know, virus that's still looming around. So they wanted to actually have this COVID-19 coverage for their riders. Uh, and and they, they actually came to us. Uh, to be honest, I mean, today we are providing all sorts of insurance policies to Foodpanda. So they came to us and said, you know what, Policy Street, we want to pay for a policy that actually covers COVID-19 specifically for our riders. We told them, you know what, let's, let's, uh, let us find for you uh, a policy, uh, which if, if we can, uh, and, and make sure that you don't pay, you know, an uh, exorbitant price for, for a policy in that nature. So right. what, we, what we managed to find was a complementary policy to actually offer a COVID-19 protection for their riders at zero cost to Food Panda. And I think they were, they were very happy with it because obviously they were anticipating uh, of paying, uh, you know, an X amount of money Right. Uh, for that policy. But uh, at the end, they got it complimentary. And it was the first time that we managed to wrangle a complimentary policy from an insurer to protect food panda riders. I think that, that uh, shows uh, in terms of uh, the kind of scale that we do and the kind of muscle that we can uh, you know, arm twist the insurer to make sure that they are able to give 
such uh, complementary policies to, to our customers or to our clients. Yeah, so why would they go complementary on this, particularly if Foodpanda was willing to pay even some amount of premium, right? Yeah, I think I think if you look at it on a on a on a you know on a bigger scale basis, uh, they looked at it in terms of the kind of volumes that we do, the kind of uh, you know policies that we issue, uh, and and they value that relationship both ways. I mean, from from uh, the insurer to us and from us to Food Panda. So we've actually been able to to go back to the insurer and say, you know what, uh, we definitely want uh, you know a complementary policy if possible for us to cover food panel riders because obviously if you look at the books that we have, look at the clients that we have, uh, you would definitely, you know, earn a better volume or better, you know, number of policies in the future. Yeah. Uh, I think I think they value that in that sense in their relationship with it. I mean, it's a great it's a great marketing and customer acquisition tool for them, right? To a certain extent. In other words, if they believe that the amount of claims that they're going to get from this type of cover is minimal, it just it's a great right. way to do customer acquisition. But also, to be fair, if someone does make a claim, someone who's been underinsured or uninsured forever somehow gets sick, unfortunately, from COVID nineteen, or one of their family members does, and they actually get a claim and a payout, it just opens their brains to wait a second, what else can I get insurance for? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Totally. And I think uh, today, if you look at, uh, at Malaysia alone, um, the underinsured penetration is, is still high. I mean, of course, not as high as, as uh, other markets, uh, other emerging markets. Right. Uh, but we've got about uh, easily about uh, six to seven people who's actually uninsured. Uh, obviously, if you look at the statistics uh, from the uh, Life Insurance Association of Malaysia, uh, it's about 55%, but okay. if you remove duplication, it's about 35%. So still about six to seven people out of 10 are actually uninsured in Malaysia alone. Yeah, and I mean, the Malaysian market's interesting too because the GDP per capita in Malaysia is the highest in Southeast Asia if you take out Singapore, right? Right, exactly. Yeah, nice. so I mean, I, I always look Malaysia as a, uh, you know, as an intermediate country. Yeah, it is so though, right? Neither, yeah, it's neither developed nor underdeveloped. Uh, right. And that's why we find it interesting to start our business in Malaysia because then it works for both uh, the developed markets and also the underdeveloped markets. And that's where, you know, we're, we're looking forward towards expansion uh, in the region itself. So we talked a little bit about the COVID-19 cover for Food Panda, but I want to talk about it in more general terms, right? We, mm-hmm. we joked a little bit about me self-quarantining at the beginning, but it's, it has a real impact on business. I mean, you know, 36 to 40 million people in the United States lost their jobs. <laughs> it's it's right. non-trivial. What has been the impact right. on your business, you think, from COVID-19, both from a growth perspective, but also from a company and management perspective? Sure. So if, if you look at COVID-19, I mean, we, we generally uh, do distribute quite a fair bit of travel policies. Right. So right. if you look at specific product lines, uh, there are certain product lines which are impacted. But having said that, uh, you know, we are, have also seen an uptick in medical policies because obviously people are more conscious of their health and right. they want to make sure that they've got the right policies if they do get sick uh, during this you know, a pandemic season. So, so again, uh, they are, you know, contrary in terms of uh, one which which is seeing growth, and whether whether the other one, the other the other product lines are seeing, you know, a decline. So, but overall, I think uh, the business has been trending well, uh, and that's because obviously we are still, I would call them small in nature versus uh, the other bigger boys like the brokers and the other FAs in, in the market. So, so and and we have nothing to lose in that sense. Uh, and that's why I think uh, the growth has been stellar for us, uh, even though 
the with with the crisis uh, today looming uh, in, in in the region itself. How how big is Policy Street? In other words, how many people work for you or with you? So today we've got about fifteen people. Uh, okay, fairly small. Yeah. Yeah, but of course uh, we've done more than about fifty thousand policies, and we've actually covered more than two hundred over thousand people. So if you look at it, it's, it's it's a small team, but serving a bigger market in that sense. <laughs> right. and, and yeah, yeah, and I think I don't I don't think we've got anything to lose in that sense. So and that's Not why you know, we've, been, we've been trending in that sense. Yeah. And what what have you done for the work at home type of stuff, or or, or did you not have an office in the first place? So not not really that much changed. Uh, we have an office. Uh, obviously, we are all working from home, and and because we are you know technology in nature, the business is, is pretty much reliant on technology. Uh, we've actually extended our working from home until the entire semi-lockdown, I'll call it, uh, is uplifted. Right. Uh, but even having said that, I think uh, we're still considering to have uh, different parts of the business to still work from home, uh, whereas the more crucial ones uh, would then come back to the office. Got it. What are the, not the regulations, but like what's the policy of the Malaysian government right now where, you know, in Thailand, we're meant to stay at home. They do some um, contact tracing and they do the same thing in Singapore. What is the, what's going on in Malaysia? So for Malaysia, you can actually work uh, in the office. I think uh, okay. they allow people to go into the office and work with only exception if you've got someone who's sick, uh, then yeah. you don't come to the office. And they've also mandated that offices have uh, thermometers and have got sanitizers to make sure that uh, you keep the hygiene uh, in the office uh, well. Okay, the last thing I want to ask you, it's been a great conversation actually, but the last thing I want to ask you is, and you work with a ton of insurance incumbent insurance companies, what recommendations would you have for them on how to better work with sort of small, nimble startups? Yeah, I, I think uh, the first thing is to 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 not uh, you know hold hold back in terms of of uh, you know opening up uh, that possibility of having you know smaller companies, smaller insurtech companies to actually help them to grow their business. I think today a lot of insurers uh, in this part of the region is still holding back, and, really? and what I mean by holding back is that they, you know they've not allowed, for example, API for for companies to tap into. So without APIs you will not be able to actually digitize the insurance product. Yeah. 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 So I think I think it's about really opening up, giving the opportunity for smaller companies, looking at the trends that will happen. I mean, uh, today there's already a new normal for agents in terms of how they are working. Uh, and, and if you look at it, I, I tend to believe uh, that the agent force will be reskilled and, and it will be changed. I mean, the, the way how insurance works will change the way how insurance is sold will be changed uh, in the near future. And that's already been seen uh, in a lot of developed markets. Same goes with how, you know, today we are doing a lot more messaging on, on, on uh, you know, on over-the-top players such as uh, WhatsApp and so forth. Right. Long ago, we were still, you know, calling customers. We were still, you know, using voice. We were still using SMS. <laughs> but today, uh, WhatsApp is prevalent. So same thing uh, in the insurance sector. I mean, if you look at more developed markets, the reliance on agent has dwindled. Uh, and, and customers are more savvy where they go online uh, and they procure policies online and not, uh, you know, through an agent on a face-to-face basis. And I think that will happen. It's a matter of time before that wave uh, comes into the Southeast Asia market. And I think that's where insurers uh, should be more equipped to then or should be, should be faster to actually adapt to that kind of change uh, in, in the nature of the business.
So you've opened up another great avenue for questions for me, and I'm really curious. How do you think <laughs> agents are going to be retrained, and what will they do that they're not doing today, and what won't they do that they were doing yesterday, if that makes sense? Yeah, so I meant, uh, so if you look at agents per se, I think uh, there, might, there might be a way of them not just representing a particular insurer. There will be agents out there who would say, you know what, I would then allow customers to go onto platforms to buy policies to, to really look at options and maybe go into advisory instead of a selling nature. Again, this is just my, my own thoughts. Uh, there, there are various uh, ways of how I think how agents could be reskilled. The same goes with how you look today at stock markets. I mean, uh, if you look at remises long ago, they tend to help you to buy stocks uh, in, in the stock exchange. But today, remises are, are almost totally non-existent. So you, and, and they've all gone to a, a nature where they help customers on the platform and not, uh, not, not through calling customers to actually lock in your order. So I think that's a kind of change that might happen uh, to the agents itself. Does that mean that a firm like Policy Street will then hire, not even hire, but like sort of build an affiliate program with, let's say, an advisor who actually ends up being a salesperson, right, in a sense. It, so it changes sort of the agent-customer relationship. But because you work with all the insurers, that means they have access to every product. And that means they can really personalize their relationship with anybody who wants to buy a policy because they're not wed to any particular insurance company. The way it is today, if I work for insurance company X, I've got to sell their policies. And if there's nothing internally that fits, I can't sell anything. Exactly. Yeah. So, and, and today we are doing that. I mean, we, we are trying out with with uh, several representatives uh, who who go out there, who go, who goes out there and tell the consumers that you know what, you've got these options. You just need to go into the platform. You are you are you know being referred to, uh, and I can give you the proper advice. Yeah. I mean, I'd love to see a situation where, you know, I'm out having dinner with a friend of mine, and I know they just like just bought a new apartment, or maybe. You know, they just had a baby, and I can always ask them, like, did you get fire insurance? Did you get flood insurance or whatever for your apartment? And they'll say no, and I'll say, wait a second, you should just log on to this platform here and buy some right. of these policies and then get a commission for it at some level, right? Yeah, exactly. We, we call it fees, like. we call it referral fees in a sense. Yeah. Okay, look, this has been really fabulous for me. You definitely have to come back, and I definitely want you to participate in some of our other roundtables. Uh, that would be awesome. I want to thank you, Yenming Lee, a co-founder and the CEO of Policy Street, for coming on and doing this again today. This was awesome. Thank you so much, Michael. I'll be happy to do that. Thank you very much.